Hello and welcome back to the Narrative Project. Today we will be continuing our conversation on body shame and body image relation to the normalization of violence with our lovely guest. I wanted to move our discussion a little bit towards the education system. So I wanted to ask, how does our education system influence body shaming culture? And I wanted to drop a personal example as well. So for example, in high school, we see a lot of talk about dress coding, right? And I've been a personal victim of this, I guess you can say. So I'm 5'7", and it's hard, it was hard for me to wear dresses that were like above the knee. So to be dress coded, you put your hands down and if your fingertips like touch the dress, you're fine. So I will wear dresses and shorts that should not be dress coded, right? Like I measured it, I did my little hand test, it's fine. But yet I noticed that I would always be more likely to catch someone's eye for them to say, oh, can you put your hand down so we check? Or, oh, can we measure it? Whereas a lot of other people who might be more petite or smaller, they can kind of get away with that type of uh, dress code regulation, right? So how do you think that the education system in this way influenced body shaming culture? I feel like dress codes is like definitely a really good point to bring up because I remember in high school, um, my friend and I would both wear like spaghetti straps, but I somehow, because I'm on the dinner side and I have like a smaller chest, um, so I never really got dress coded for wearing like a spaghetti strap top. However, I remember once when I was walking to the office with my friend, she was wearing like a tube top and she she's like a little bigger and she has like cleavage. And then we were stopped by one of the security guards and then she was like, go put on a jacket. Like the guys are going to be looking. But I was just like, what? That's like nonsense. We should be able to wear whatever we want. And I remember in middle school, like um, my classmates and I started a movement called Don't Shame Our Shoulders because <laughs> our school banned us from wearing tops that showed our shoulders. And I just feel like it's not just about body like shaming or body type when it comes to like school dress codes or our educational system. It's also about how like we view women as objects and how like we have to change our ways of dressing to like accompany like our male counterparts and like so we don't distract them from learning, but we should be treated equally and we should be able to dress however we want. Because like I said, clothing does not imply consent or like anything out of what we want. Well, I want to say like, yay for starting that in middle school, like awesome feminist movement there. I love it. Um, I'm older. So my experiences in high school were like 20 years ago. Um, and so I'm just going to say back at that point when I was in high school, it was about 1998 and, uh, it was pretty brutal. Just the amount of, of, there was a lot of different things, a lot of different experiences back then, uh, from what I experienced now going to UCI. Um, I would say that actually I've seen a great improvement from what it was like then. I mean, the teachers would call you out for being overweight they I mean teachers <laughs> back in those days you know like it wasn't really frowned upon to be cruel to somebody overweight back at those points in my life in the 80s and 90s and now I don't really I don't really see that at UCI maybe I haven't been there long enough to see it but at the same time I, I'm really impressed with the new fashion trends that include slightly larger bodies in some ways. I've seen a lot of younger girls at school who wear a crop top 
and let the belly hang out. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know? So I think in a certain way, just a social change has improved what's available to people at uh, the educational system. Now, I don't know for sure, but that's my experience. I definitely agree because I feel like in middle school and high school, I definitely had more strict dress codes. I don't know if it's because of the culture I grew up in or like just educational institution themselves. But at UCI, I feel like I'm able to dress however I want, whether it's like a crop top, a tube top or like some booty shorts. And like no one really says anything. And like even for my work at the International Center, I can go into the office dressed however comfortable I feel. And I definitely see like what you're saying. I feel like at UCI, so far, my experience has been really positive, whether it's like dress codes or how I show off myself with my fashion senses and things yeah, like that. Yeah, thank you, Jay, for mentioning that, too. I think what it adds is some insight to how far we've gone. And like you said, the social change and the different um, like standards. And I also agree with Vicky that at, at least at my time at UCI or at any college. So I'm actually a transfer student. So I spent two years in community college. And I really think it's distinctively different how dress code is regulated in high school and in college. Because when you're in college, no one really cares. No one will stop you down, you know, walking around Aldrick Park like, hey, you, you need to put on a jacket or you need to go home, you know? Like there's none of that, which makes me really question on why do we have such strict dress code regulation for young, you know, female teens? Because the same um, teen could be wearing a tank top yet let's say a male counterpart is wearing a tank top they don't get dress coded or i've seen some costumes recently there's been some news about this where um some of these young boys uh like go shirtless on campus and yet they still don't get dress coded as compared to female counterparts and it's sort of like why is there such a double standard while they're so young you know why is there almost this like sexualization of young female bodies in that sense as compared to where you're in college, no one really starts to actively regulate dress code. <laughs> so to bring into the next question, though, is how do you think maybe our education system can better support students just so that they can better reduce experiencing body shaming? Um, so supporting students who've gone through body shaming, experienced it, or reducing it in general. I'm thinking that probably more availability on the part of staff would be really a, a great benefit to people. Um, there's this whole culture of do not believe the victim <laughs> that needs to be challenged. And, you know, having those kinds of ideas about, you know, like, like Vicky was talking about with a, a larger chested young girl, why is she getting that versus why you know somebody with that smaller chest might not get that same experience that's sowing the roots of unbelievability towards uh, a victim who may later experience assault and that's really you need to make yourself as a staff person i'd say more available to the students and more believed make them feel believed you know and that I think would be the best thing that can be available is as an adult, I think that the only thing you can do is be there for kids and believe them. There's just no other way. I think having, um, for example, like things like UCI care and stuff, 
like who are advocating for students, like staff advocating for student helps a lot too. Cause then you feel like, oh, okay, I'm not completely alone. It's not just me versus them. And to kind of shift like the topic, um, how do you think COVID and the pandemic has affected by, like your body image? I think from my experience, it definitely has been like a negative and positive experience because, well, I usually don't really exercise anyways, but COVID has prevented me from even going out even more. And I definitely put on like a few extra pounds and I'm also spending more time alone. So when I stand in front of a mirror, I begin to come up with all these like criticism about my body. Like, why did you gain like this many pounds? Why do you look like this now? Um, why aren't you exercising? And like all these doubts about my own body. But then I think it has also been a positive experience because I'm also able to spend more time reflecting. And I did start journaling recently. And I think it's definitely really useful because I get to like write down all of my emotions. And I just think COVID is like a time where it's really hard for you to stay positive all the time because of how much time you're spending alone, which makes you like, you have these voices inside your head. So it's like a positive and negative experience for me. For me, I would say due to the COVID uh, shutdowns and quarantines and some part the the food scarcity we experienced in the early part of the year last year, it really has, (laughs) it's an ongoing assassination towards my body image. These sort of responses, like I mentioned before, of like the bag your clothes that aren't friendly to people like me and take that 15 off, you know, what if it's not 15? And, you know, that makes it a really stressful experience and, you know, struggling with an eating disorder at those times, stress triggering, you know, like it's, it's not so simple as I just came out okay and I'm going to go back to normal now. I, I envision that I'll take a lot of mindfulness and maybe therapy to avoid the harmful cycles that nav- to, and navigating these messages before, you know, it takes a toll. I feel like Dee mentioned a really good point about how you just can't, you can't just like come on and be like fine all of a sudden, because like, honestly, people hear this a lot, but like healing isn't linear. And just as I feel a little better about my body myself, I may come across this image on social media, or I may come to school and see like certain folks have my ideal body type because of the standards society has set for me. Um, I rebound back to this phase of questioning whether I am thin enough or I'm curving enough. And I just think it's this constant going back and forth, going back and forth. And like I said, healing isn't linear and it does take like a lot of courage and effort to really start accepting ourselves for what we look like and not like caring about what others say. That's a great point. I wanted to bring up, this reminded me of pregnancy bodies and post-pregnancy bodies. Having had two children myself, you know, you get a lot of that, (laughs) that hatred. Like if you don't go back to your pre-pregnancy body immediately, you're just some sort of failure or something. And that's really unfortunate because I mean, it's basically a whole life change. It's not like you're going to go right back. And then that's what makes me think of with COVID. You don't just go right back. It's going to be a new direction. And that's the important thing is through your, like you said, healing, it's going to take time. That's a pretty good comparison with like the pregnancy, how it is a life change. And I feel like with the pandemic, no one really thought it was like a huge thing because we're still like in a way the same or we're getting back to the same thing, like maybe too quick, you know, but it's like, it's a big thing that happened. It's 
literally shifted all like our lifestyles and it's more to consider than just like oh we had to stay home for a few months yeah I wanted to also add on to that especially with the pregnancy comparison that was really a great analogy especially when I heard it from my mom um, where she was like you know my body was perfectly fine until I have you because I was her last child right so she was like but after you I just went bloop like my body completely changed I'm like but mom you're still like pretty you're still really like beautiful like that doesn't define who you are but yeah I think there's always this expectation and a very harmful negative nonsensical expectation that we always need to revert back to this form right like even after we do something as traumatic well I'm starting to use the word traumatic but traumatic as you know giving birth we're expected to get back to it so quick and I think with um, COVID, we can also look at that very similar. It wasn't like a two month period, you know, it was like a whole year and a little more. And we're still even in it right now, right? And I think it's hard to even adjust eating habits when we are jumped back into college. We have in person or hybrid classes. I'm still eating, you know, five packs of ramen noodles to survive. Like it's difficult to just suddenly change eating habits, suddenly change walking or exercising habits. And yeah, so I definitely agree with what you both said. So great thoughts. I just wanted to add in, I'm so sorry you got that negative message. That must have been super painful to hear. Like you destroyed my body. Like that's, that's not right. <laughs> I personally take sadness to that because I never think of my children. Like they destroyed my body. No, they made my body perfect. Oh, thank you, Dee. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, uh, Dee and Vicky, for coming and talking to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Narrative Project podcast. We hope you all enjoyed the dialogue we had today. Please remember, should you need support from the care office, please call us at 949-824-7273 or email us at care at uci.edu. Our services are available to UCI students, staff, and faculty members Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The UCI Counseling Center can also be accessed at 949-824-6457 and offers 24-hour access to counselors by phone. Waymaker's 24-hour hotline at 949-831-9110 for South Orange County or 714-957-2737 for North Orange County provides resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. Human Options 24-hour hotline at 877-854-3594 provides resources safety, and support for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. For those outside of Orange County, the National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-4673 or through online chat at rainrain.org for resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-7233 or through online chat at thehotline.org for resources and referrals for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please be sure to share it with someone you know and join us for our next conversation. Bye for now.